0: Let me tell you a story, podcast number 111.
1: It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. Call me Ishmael. It was the age of wisdom. Some years ago, never mind. It is a truth universally
2: universally acknowledged. It's a Christmas You
3: don't know about me without you.
2: Welcome to Let Me Tell You a Story with your hosts, Steve and Becky Lyles. Settle back into your seat. Step onto your favorite fitness machine or lace up your walking shoes and enjoy stories from a variety of genres and authors. Hi, this is Steve.
1: Hi, this is Becky. Welcome to Let Me Tell You a Story. We have a fun guest for you for this podcast, just uh, something a little bit different that he's going to share with us. His name is David Rush, and he is one of the most prolific Guinness World Record holders on the planet. He also has an electrical engineering degree from MIT, an MBA from Boise State, and is a senior product manager at Cradle Point, the industry leader in cloud-delivered 4G LTE network solutions. At MIT, he won Best Undergraduate Lab of the Year in Electrical Engineering for a Juggling Simulator. He's a two-time winner of the MIT-wide talent show, a two-time finalist at Idaho's Gut Talent and has been a guest on the Today Show. He's broken over 80 Guinness World Records while promoting science, technology, engineering, and math, which he also does through talks and at davidrushforstem.com. David is the world's fastest juggler, the world's slowest juggler, and holds world records for the most bowling balls juggled, the most consecutive acts juggling catches, and the longest duration of balancing a bicycle on the chin. So I get to ask the first question, which is, um, juggling seems to be a theme here. Um, when did you get interested and just how did you get going with juggling?
3: Well, Steve and Becky, thank you so much for having me here. It's uh it's great to be here. Um I learned how to juggle when I was eight years old. Uh, my grandfather on my mother's side Had a stroke in, I believe it was 1993, and he lived up in Sandpoint. And so uh, it seems like our family lived between Boise, where we lived, Sandpoint, where uh, my grandparents lived, and Seattle. And when we were in Seattle, my uncle, who had a store there in the the mall, gave my brother and I three bean bags each while we were in the warehouse to keep us occupied. And so I figured out the three-ball juggling pattern on the floor, and my older brother, Jonathan, figured it out in the air first. And then over that summer, we learned how to juggle.
0: When did you say...
3: Wow, I can do a beanbag. How about this bowling ball? (laughs) You know, um, I I went from those beanbags, and I always thought I was much worse at it than my brother. But I realized it was because he was using three globes that were perfectly round. And my beanbags were penguins that were more triangular in shape, had an odd-shaped head and two arms. And so I thought I was just way less coordinated than him. But it wasn't until later that I figured out that if you have a round objects, it's must be much easier to juggle. And so I, you know, would like do the junior high talent show. And then in high school, you knew the uh, National Honor Society induction ceremony and put on a show or two every year. But it wasn't until college that I got really serious into juggling. And my freshman year at MIT, uh, there are two four-month semesters, and then in the middle there's this January term, and you're allowed to do anything you want. You can stay at home, uh, get an internship, uh, take classes for credit, take classes for fun, hang out with friends. And so I took the juggling PE class, and that's when I started juggling an hour every day and got serious into juggling. Started the juggling club, and from there I I practiced so much that I realized I can literally juggle any object that you can pick up and transfer basically from one hand to the other. And so bowling balls were simply an extension of that, and I would juggle medicine balls in college that were, you know, 12, 15 pounds. And so three 10-pound bowling balls is relatively straightforward for me today.
0: Wow. (laughs) Over 80, I guess, is the number... Of records you've
3: broken. Do you know the exact amount so far? I believe you're referring to Guinness World Records titles. And I have broken over 80. Um... And I've made an attempt at about a hundred so far, and it's it's hard to get exact count because the way it is is you apply for a record, uh, after three months you get the rules. This is the free route that is, and then you can make an attempt at the record, submit the evidence. Then three months later they'll either accept it or reject it, or sometimes they'll request further evidence. And so I have had most of my records have been approved, some have been rejected, and then I also have probably twelve or more that are under review. And so to have an exact count. If, if it's rejected, then I have to take it out of the count. And if it's in the queue, I if I've broken it and I think it was good, I'll add it to the, the list. And if it's under further evidence and I don't think I'm going to get it, I sometimes take it out, sometimes don't. So I, I never have an exact count.
0: Now, this is a world competition thing, right? I mean, people from all over the world do whatever it is and hope to break these or get these titles. Is that right?
3: Yeah, so I mean it's it's when you're growing up it was called the Guinness Book of World Records and most people are familiar with the print edition that comes out of a year. It's the best copyright best selling copyright book in the history of the world. Uh, because they have so many editions. And now, I mean, they still have a print edition of the book, but there's uh, many of the records online now, and there are even more records that are only visible if you do a record application search. And so anybody in the world is allowed to apply to break these records, uh, get the applications, and make attempts at them. Yeah.
0: Well, other than time, I'd say, what are the ones you have? But that would take a while to to list. (laughs) I was one of your timers when you were doing a raw egg on a teaspoon in your mouth, running around the track. And that was pretty amazing how you could go 10 feet without dropping it. How do you pick what you do and
3: somehow accomplish that? (laughs) So, I'm, I'm I'm using breaking Guinness World Records promotes a growth mindset, the idea that if you believe you can get better at something, you can. And so the record I set that day that you're referencing was for the fastest mile run, balancing an egg on a spoon in the mouth. And when I first tried this, I put a spoon in my mouth, I put an egg on that spoon, and I took two steps and the egg fell off, and I said, well, that's not, that's not possible, I'm not going to do it. But later on, I'm like, you know, if I'm going to break these world records, I need to approach each of these with a growth mindset, the idea that I can get better at any skill there is. And so I put that egg on a spoon in my mouth and I practiced. Now, to start, I practiced with hard-boiled eggs because that way when I dropped them, I could put them back on the spoon. Uh, But later on, I got to the point where I could run, you know, 100 meters, 200, and then uh, a mile or more with an egg on a spoon in my mouth and not drop it. And uh, for that particular record, if I dropped it at any point during the mile, the the record and the application were over immediately. Um, In practice, I would often drop it and then catch it with my hand so the raw egg didn't break. Um, But approaching each record with a growth mindset, the idea that I can get better at this if I work on it, has made a dramatic impact in how fast I get at what I'm practicing and and has made uh, made it possible for me to break records that I didn't think were possible initially.
0: It still sounds like it would take considerable effort and time to figure what to do, to practice it, to get it organized, uh, who's going to be there to video it and time it and all that kind of stuff. Is that still a big part of it?
3: Uh, yes, it is a considerable uh, time sink. And you know, what I've got to admit is I, I don't get to watch much TV anymore. But I spend a lot more time running around the cr- track, uh, doing push ups, practicing my juggling. And then now uh, I've been breaking records for only a little over three years now. And my oldest son is uh, just two and a half. And so he was, my wife was pregnant before I ever even broke a Guinness World Record. So much of that practicing in the living room is with my two-year-old son who picks up the balls I'm practicing with. Or anytime he sees me holding something long and skinny, he says, can I have a turn, dad? And he puts it on his chin to see if he can balance it.
0: You just got back from Athens. What, uh, what happened there?
3: So I went to Athens for an IOT conference. That's the Internet of Things. I work in the cellular industry on LTE routers. And the conference was a, a sister company that makes LTE router, or LTE modules and SIMs that go on these devices. And so I was going over, and they invited me, hey, come give a talk on growth mindset. And, uh, and of course, I have to give my plug for STEM education, science, technology, engineering, and math. And so I, I went over there and presented on... Um, uh, why I believe having a growth mindset uh, that's presented in Carol Dweck's book, Mindset, can make such a dramatic and positive impact in your life and anything. Uh, including you know, juggling, breaking world records, or uh, understanding that you can be good at science, technology, engineering, and math. Even if you struggle at a math test or somebody tells you you're not a math person, you can be if you work hard. And so I gave that talk to the conference as well as attended the IoT conference and learned about eSIMS and had great conversations learning about the industry. Um, and then I broke uh, and attempted to break a Guinness World Record. Uh, and this was a group participation record for most Socks removed in one minute while blindfolded. And so I was blindfolded, and I had 42 people line up on chairs, each put on two socks, and I attempted to take all of their socks off while I was blindfolded in one minute. Now, this was the second time I'd make that record attempt. The first time was actually at the Comic-Con Wizarding World held in Boise earlier in 2018, and I made the attempt there, and uh, Cato Kenning was the MC for that event, uh, uh, the uh, famous witness from the O.J. Simpson trial, and I had, you know, I think 30 people line up there. I gave them all socks, put them on their feet, and got myself blindfolded. And, and this is a tough one to practice for, because you need a lot of people, so I, I basically got my wife and my dad to say, hey, put these socks in them, I'll take them off. And in that, in that official attempt that I made at Wizarding World, I realized that the, the biggest problem I had was that people had sweaty feet, and the socks wouldn't peel off. And so I think I got 39 in the minute. The previous record was 22 held by some K-pop star, had a South Korea. And I'm like, I got to do better at this. So at this conference, I I gave them all um, baby wipes to wash their feet, um, paper towels to dry their feet, and then gold bond powder to keep their feet super dry before I put all the socks on. And then I did one practice attempt and two official attempts. And in the end, I think I got... um, Uh, 72 socks off in one minute, uh, with my previous attempt being only 39.
0: (laughs) Now that's a title I never would have thought of, or a
1: a goal. (laughs) That's funny. Well, that makes me wonder who comes up with these different types of challenges
3: so uh currently there are 47,000 Guinness World Records titles that have been set. Uh, and are available for you to apply to. Some of them have been discontinued because they're too dangerous uh, or um, they've decided they're no longer going to recognize them. Uh, But you can go on the website. uh, And in the book, a typical book, they'll publish about 4,000 records. On the website, there's about 15,000 published at any given time that they rotate through. And then a total of about 47,000 that are uh, available. And so I will peruse through these records and apply for them. And and there are probably uh, a handful, maybe less than 10, what are called these super record breakers, which as of this last year, apparently I made the cut because the uh, editor-in-chief of the Guinness World Record book uh, was answering an Ask Me Anything on Reddit. And and the, one of the questions he got was, like, what are the most uh, fierce rivalries you have in the Guinness World Records? And he answered, well, there are these two people out of India that have been trying to grow the longest ear hair. And so they've been going back on the ear hair record. Uh, And then there are a couple of other people who have been going back for the most animal balloon records. And then there's the... um the the record for the most Guinness World Records held. And Ashrita Furman is the whole current holder of that record and he's held that record for over 30 years. But then he listed off uh, five other well, these super record breakers who have broken, you know, uh, over 50 records each. And, and I was the last name on that list. Then he added parentheses uh, because I was attempting to break one Guinness World Records title per week in 2018, a goal which I'm, I'm happy to say I think I completed, assuming the records I have outstanding are approved. The longest ear hair.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I know some more retired guys who probably could win
3: that. <laughs> I don't know. It's a pretty fierce uh, pretty fierce competition.
1: Doing this type of competition, is it really pretty much just a solo thing?
3: So... um if you're trying to break a Guinness world records title, you apply for it and you can break it. And for that one that I broke in Athens for the most socks that removed in a minute, I will be the record holder for it. But any of those 42 people could be what's called a participant and get a participant certificate from Guinness. And so if you, I remember in college, my wife and I went to the Boston commons and there was a competition for the most jack-o'-lanterns in one place. And so we carved a couple pumpkins and made these jack-o'-lanterns. And I didn't know it at the time, but we could have gone to the Guinness website and, paid our $25 and received a Guinness world record participants for certificate for being one of the participants in one of those mass participation records.
0: You were also on the today show. What, um, what did you do? How did they find out about you? What's the story on that?
3: Uh, So the story there is I, I broke my first Guinness world record in October of 2015 And a few months later, I don't know, maybe uh, actually less than a year, maybe August of 2016, I received an email from Guinness World Records saying, congratulations uh, on making the 2017 edition of the book. Uh, We're going to be holding these and launch activities in New York City with media and and, uh, attention. And uh, would you be interested in participating? And at the time, I had no idea... what this meant. I thought, well, okay, maybe this is a mass email sent out to all 4,000 people who make the book every year. Um, and I might have to pay a couple thousand dollars to go participate and I was like I don't know how this works so I emailed them back yes of course I'm interested can you give me more information and basically through the email exchange back and forth I discovered that I was just one of a handful of people maybe five that was asked to participate and we pretty much all were going to go to New York City to participate if there were media attention lined up for us and so um They said, good news, Uh, the Today Show wants to have you on the show. Um, I gave them a list of records. I was prepared to attempt on the the Today Show live. Um, And they said, oh, great. Uh, They want to see you break the record for most juggling catches in one minute while blindfolded. And so they wanted to see the fastest blindfolded juggling. Uh, This is a record I currently owned. I had set it. I actually created that record and I said, Hey Guinness, I think this should be a record. They approved the application and I broke it. Um, but the, when I broke it initially, I dropped the ball after 49 seconds. And so I'm like, well, if I can finish the whole minute, I know I'm going to be able to crush this on the today show. And so I had about another month to practice. And so I practiced every day for hours and I kept getting faster and faster at this blindfolded juggling. In fact, I got so fast That I made my goal in the Today Show, not just breaking the Guinness World Record for most catches in a minute while blindfolded, I was going to break the record for the world's fastest juggling period while I was blindfolded. And so they paid for all the flights for me to go out to New York City in the hotel and my wife said okay I want to come as well so she bought her own flights and came and stayed with me and we flew out with a Jeremy our son who was just a few months old at the time and so we arrive in New York City and they uh had a, a limo for us at the hotel and we drive over to the Today show and and before I was invited on the show I knew virtually nothing about it apparently it hours it airs 4 hours every day um and it's a live show so I'm like okay if I mess up it's on live national television everybody's going to this. I had no idea. So I, I show up on the set. Uh, I get to a green room. And while I'm in the green room, Hoda walks through uh, the host of the, the 10 o'clock hour, which I was on at the time. And I was holding uh, Jeremy with me, who's just a little baby. And Hoda walks up and she's like, this is the cutest baby. And she starts playing with him. And I'm like, hi, Hoda, my name's David. And she gives me this blank stare. And I'm like, oh, you have no idea who I am. You have no idea I'm going to be on your show in like a half an hour right now. <laughs> but she was just there because she saw a cute baby. And then it made more sense when uh, a few months later she uh, adopted her first child. And I'm like, okay, this is why she was interested in babies. So uh, we get held in a couple different green rooms. And I get taken up to the uh, the studio floor. We're going to shoot. And I stand in front of the three cameras And I'm like, okay, I close my eyes. I'm doing my blindfolded juggling. I've broken the record 20 times in practice this day and I'm feeling pretty good. And so Hoda comes out with Billy Bush, the host that was there, you know, lasted about two months for his tenure. But uh, Hoda introduces me uh, through a little video uh, they put uh, together ahead of time featuring videos of me juggling around the world that Jennifer had taken and put together. And, um, The Guinness Adjudicator comes out on site, they explain what I'm going to do. And so I would prepared a three or four minute speech on why I was breaking Guinness World Records to promote STEM education, get kids excited about science and technology, but also uh, give them a growth mindset. This idea that if you believe you can get better at something, you can if you work hard at it. They gave me absolutely no time to explain that. So I literally interrupted the host so I could get my 10-second speech in that I was breaking records for STEM. The Guinness adjudicator says, ready, set, go, and I start juggling these three balls while I'm blindfolded. And about 15 seconds in, it's like a bear jumped out at me. You know, I had that adrenaline surge where your heart is absolutely pounding and your arms and legs turn to complete mush, and I dropped a ball on live national television. Did I think this might happen? Yes. Did I have a plan? You betcha I did. Without even missing a beat, I didn't have to take off my blindfold because I'd practiced so much, I reached down, picked up the ball, and said, let's go again. And so the Guinness adjudicator says, ready, set, go, and I start juggling again, 5, 10, 15, 20 seconds in, and it's like that bear jumped out of me again. I, my arms start to go complete mush, and I drop the ball again. At this point, do I have a plan? No, I don't. But it's live national television, so I improvise. I take off my blindfold, I pick up the ball, I jump back and forth, say, i got some nerves, but let's do this again. And the hosts are checking with Guinness or like, is he allowed to try it again? I don't, I don't know, but it's live national television. They're going to look bad if they don't give him another try. So I put the blindfold on. And they say, okay, let's give him one more try. And so I started juggling again. This time I make it, you know, five, 10, 15, 20, 25, 30 seconds. And it's like a bear jumps out at me again. The adrenaline surge. And I'm trying to hold it together. And I'm like, come on, keep juggling, keep juggling. But I dropped the ball again. And I went home that day, just absolutely devastated. I was like, I know I can break this record. I know I can be the fastest blindfolded juggler in the world. In fact, I know I can be the fastest juggler in the world, period, while blindfolded. And and in a fixed mindset, uh, failure is permanent. Failure is what defines you. And, and when you fail, you never want to try that again because you don't want to put yourself into another situation where you're going to prove you're not good at something. Uh, but I decided, no, you know, that's not what I'm going to do. I had, I'd broken only about five Guinness world records at the time. And I said, you know what? I'm not going to let this failure define me, even though 5 million people have seen me fail. But even more than that, my family and friends and coworkers. And so I went out and I've set dozens more Guinness world records, proving that failure doesn't define you, how you respond to it does.
0: Isn't that kind of like when Jesus was walking on the water and Peter wanted to go, he started sinking and everybody says, oh, look at that lack of faith. And how many people say, well, the other dudes in the boat, they didn't even try. So it's Peter who got the bad rap, but was really the the hero.
3: You know, I couldn't agree with you more. If you put yourself out there and you try, when you fail... That's not what defines you. When you fail, that's where you figure out where your limits are. That's where you figure out, hey, where do I need to work? What are my limits today so that I can practice those things? And I talk about deliberate practice as well as having grit and not giving up when things get hard, not giving up when you're challenged, not giving up when you fail, or somebody else tells you you can't do it. But you keep pushing through that, and that's where you grow. Have you ever watched a toddler learn how to walk? They stand up, they fall down. They stand up, they fall down. They fall down. All they know is failure, but they continue to progress and get better at things constantly because they're pushing themselves to the edge of the limits. Now, as adults, we get good at things like walking and we get comfortable no longer failing. And we have these adages like, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. That's a self-fulfilling prophecy. You know, if you try as an adult, they've shown many studies time after time that adults can new learn new activities, they can learn new activities, uh, they can learn new languages, they, they can learn how to play the piano, become a musician with absolutely no uh, prior experience. And it's because they're practicing deliberately with a growth mindset, with a belief that they can get better, and they're developing new gray matter, new white matter, and new neural connections in the brain. Well, the
0: fact that you dropped the ball, like that on TV,
3: but you did more than
0: anybody else. I mean, who could even juggle that fast, let alone blindfolded?
3: I mean, it still says something. Did you get calls from that? Yeah, so my main goal has been to promote STEM education. So I get into going to schools and libraries. I give uh, corporate talks to, to folks saying, hey, if you believe you can get better at something, uh, you can. And, and it started actually probably eight or nine years ago. Uh, my dad asked me to come give a talk about my STEM story to um, uh, a summer education conference. And at the time, I'm like, well, that's great. I'll come talk about my Idaho public education upbringing and how it fully prepared me to go off to MIT and have an electrical engineering degree. But I also juggle, so I should make it interesting, too. And so I decided to put those together. And for several years, I I practiced um, or I practiced put together these shows where I'd talk about STEM education while juggling. And I got invited to a few other things after that. But uh, about five years ago, I decided, you know what? I want to take this to the next level. I want to, what can I do that can push myself to the limit while practicing this growth mindset? And so I decided I was going to try to break a Guinness World Records title. And uh, and so I'm like, okay, what can I do? And I'm like, okay, I can juggle. And there's these records for juggling, uh, which is running while Juggling. And so I looked at all the juggling or juggling records from 100 meters to a half marathon. And I picked the 800 meter dash because it was the weakest of all those records. And I'm like, I'm going to run the fastest 800 meter dash while juggling. And so I practiced for two years, I ran over 2000 miles while juggling. I went on short runs, long runs. I, I ran a, a marathon while juggling at Walt Disney World. Um, and, and I run until my legs burned and my and my lungs were on fire. And then I keep running some more because I had a goal of breaking a Guinness World Records title. And after two years of training, I went on one last run. And you know what happened? I hurt my knee. And I wouldn't be able to run again for over a year and a half. I went to the doctor, I got x-rays. MRIs, second opinions, they could not figure out what was going on. And, and at that point, I'm like, okay, I could give up. And nobody could blame me for giving up because I've just spent 2000 miles of my life practicing for this record. And, and I gave it a good chunk of time. But instead of giving up, I decided to pivot. And I decided to practice for longest duration blindfolded juggling. I just spent, you know, several hundred hours running while juggling the basic three-ball cascade. I got so repetitive and and consistent at it that I could literally run and juggle while blindfolded. And and I realized if I stood in the same spot, I could do it for even longer. And so I practiced for several more months. And uh, and then after six minutes and 34 seconds of blindfolded juggling, I set my first Guinness World Records title. Wow. (laughs) I'm picturing you're at
0: Disneyland, you're running blindfolded, And and, and not at the time. Okay. Okay. And, but still you're running and juggling and there are all the people who are, I mean, Disney world, I think it was, what kind of reception or what kind of reaction did you get from people?
3: You know, it was, it was probably more in the 2000 miles of training, mostly running around Boise that I got all these reactions from the different people that I'm running by while I'm juggling. And there's, there's several classic reactions. One is, uh, is to yell out that guy's running and jogging at the same time. Now they mean to say juggling, but they say running and jogging at the same time because they can't comprehend they could be juggling. Um, some people will say, you know, I can't do, I can't, I can't walk and chew gum at the same time. Uh, Uh, folks will say, I can't do that. And then there's those that just, want to act like I don't exist. They see me. And then, you know, corner of the eye to the opposite side of the street. I don't believe that guy exists. I don't want to acknowledge they exist. He's a, he's a complete stranger to me. I don't want to see him. Um, and then, and then there's of course the parents with the little kids to say, Hey, look at that guy. He's juggling. He's juggling. Look at them. Be, be engaged or excited because you're my kid and I want you to see something cool. And so I've seen uh, lots of reactions like that. <laughs>
1: I am really curious to know, how in the world did you balance a bicycle on your chin?
3: So uh, when I was in college, I started the juggling club there and uh, practiced uh, an hour every day, several hours every week. And uh, I probably spent $10,000 worth of MIT's money on equipment and uh, performers to come in and put on shows and cookies to invite people to come juggle for a cookie. And I wanted to expand my repertoire as a performer. And at the time, I was just a juggling performer. And I said, okay, what what goes with juggling? And balancing goes with it. So you've got the roller board where you stand on a PVC pipe with a, 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 a board on top. And I'm like, okay, I want to be able to balance stuff on my chin because that goes with juggling as well. And so I decided I was going to teach myself that skill some summer. And so I started with a baseball bat, put it on my chin. And, it of course, just falls after after a couple seconds. But I practiced for a year, and I got pretty consistent at balancing a baseball bat on my chin. Um, but then I started working on bigger and larger objects and I realized, Hey, you know what? I can, I can balance a table on my chin or a ladder on my chin. And so when I was breaking Guinness world records, I ran across these records for balancing large cumbersome objects on my chin. And so I'm like, well, heck I can balance a chainsaw on my chin or a ladder or a bicycle. And so I apply for those records and I get the rules back. And for the bicycle, it had to be 27 pounds. I'm like, well, that's kind of heavy. Uh, And so I'm like, how heavy is my bike? And I put it on the scale and it was well over 35 pounds. I'm like, well, I can't use that one. How heavy is my wife's bike? Still too heavy. So I went to Ken's Bicycle Warehouse and I said, hey, do you have a 27 pound bike? I don't want it a pound over, but it can't be less. And so Ken from Ken's Bicycle Warehouse gave me a bicycle, and I went out, and I think the record was two minutes and one second balancing a bicycle on my chin. And so I practiced using weights to start with. I had like a you know, barbell, and I took all the weights off one end and put a, a tennis ball in that end to put it on my chin, and all the weights were up high. And balancing an object on the chin, it's a, it's an inverse pendulum, uh, which means the higher the center of the gravity the slower it falls. And so you've got a little weight on the top, it actually slows faller, so a heavy weight on the top is actually easier to balance. And so I got my neck strength up and my jaw strength. The jaw is actually what got sore the the, the the fastest to start with. And then the most dangerous thing is actually injuries to the spine. And so while my neck or my jaw would hurt while I'm balancing it, the day after my lower back would be sore. And if it got too sore, that was where I was actually risking injury. So I had to work my way up on weights. And so I've got the bicycle and I'm going to break this record. And it was out in a Meridian at some uh, uh, Meridian event at the Kleiner Park. He bounced this bike on my chin, and I got to get for two minutes and one second to break the Guinness World Record. And uh, I was a minute in, and I just about fell into the pond in Kleiner Park because I ran into the fence. So I had to try it again, and I went two minutes and 36 seconds, and I was thrilled. Less than a year later, the record was broken by somebody who else went, you know, three minutes. Actually actually firm, Furman, the guy who holds the most records. And so last year, I'm like, okay, I'm going to break the record, but I'm going to do it for real this time. And so I practiced even more, got another bike from Ken's Bicycle Warehouse, and I balanced it on my chin for six minutes and 36 seconds, which if you'd have told me when the record was two minutes and one second that I could more than triple it, I'd have said, yeah, that's not possible. But with a growth mindset, in practice to build up the strength, the muscles, and the technique to be able to keep that bicycle on my chin, uh, I was able to do it.
1: So which part of the bicycle do you put on your chin?
3: (laughs) So Guinness actually specifies not only the weight, but where you have to balance the bicycle on your chin. And it says you can either balance it on the wheel or on the seat. And so uh, I put it on the wheel on my chin once and it immediately rolled off. And I'm like, I'm not sure it's physically possible to do this without, because then there's two axes of freedom for the bike to fall off. And so I'm like, well, it's obviously got to be the seat. So I swing the bike up. You have to put it on your chin by yourself. So I swing the bike up from this normal position until I get the wheels up in the air, and then I put the seat on my chin. And the biggest immediate risk is for the steering wheel to turn and throw off the the balance. The center of gravity changes when the wheel turns, and so I either try to crank the wheel all to the side or uh, put it straight out so it can be balanced on my chin. Now, no structural modifications are allowed to the bicycle kit, so you can't fix the parts together, but I'll put that seat on my chin and then keep it balanced above my head for as long as I can.
0: I'm still picturing like chainsaw and and <laughs> odd-shaped things like that. When's a Volkswagen going on your chin
3: or what's, what's next? Um, so a Volkswagen probably above my physical limits, even though I'm supposed to say I don't have any, uh, I, I do have a record application for longest duration balancing a television on my teeth, but I think they specified the television had to be 50 kilograms. So over a hundred pounds, um, so I'm not super excited to try that one, especially since if it's directly on my teeth, the center of gravity is going to be really low. Like, for example, a chainsaw is much harder to balance than a bicycle uh, because the the motor, the handle has to be on your chin, so the motor is right next to the chin, and then you have that long, skinny blade at the top. So the center of gravity is really low, um, and so as an inverse pendulum, it, it falls quickly. Um, so I, I like to call it in the most scientific terms possible. It's, it's squirrely. <laughs>
0: So you do, you do presentations. How would somebody get a hold of you to do that?
3: So I've got a website, davidrush4stem.com. That's the number four, S-T-E-M dot com. Uh, and uh, emails posted on that site, info at davidrush 4 or my uh, phone number 208-477-1836 is my uh, davidrush4stem.com phone number. So either email, give me a call, and uh, I'd be happy to come give a presentation locally or I'll, I'll travel for it as well.
0: So, have you thought of writing a book about your story? How uh, how this has affected you on your journey?
3: You know that did come to mind, especially if I want to get more uh, opportunities to speak. I was uh, advised by a professional speaker, "Hey, you really need a book if you want to do this." I thought, you know, that might be. Kind of interesting. I've always wanted to write a book. And so I've, I've written one at this point, and I hope to publish it in the next several months, uh, called Breaking Records. And, uh, and it's 21 lessons learned from 21 world record attempts. And the basic format is I, I start with a theme for each chapter. And each chapter talks about the story of breaking an individual record, and I talk about that theme and how it applied to that record, like uh, growth mindset, having one, and uh, Carol Dweck's idea of having this growth mindset versus a fixed mindset, or Angela Duckworth's grit, which is the most... Uh, significant indicator if you're going to succeed in college or the West Point Academy, having grit is a better predictor of success than money or grades or test scores. Uh, and then I talk uh, about things like setting smart goals that are specific, measurable, attainable, realistic, and timely. Uh, and other themes as I uh, talk about those 21 world record attempts, uh, most of which were successful, but many of which I, I did not complete.
0: I can see you doing this on a TED Talk. Is that something in your mind?
3: You know, it is in my mind. In fact, uh, this year, TEDx had their uh, Boise show, and I went and gave my little spiel And hey, I'd like to come give a TEDx talk. And they uh, they chose not to select me, and I understand the reasons why, and so I might I try again next year.
1: I know you've talked quite a bit about STEM. You could... Give us just a little bit more of an explanation about that and also talk about girls and STEM. Yeah.
3: So there is, I work at a technology company here in Boise, Idaho called Cradle Point. And we make LTE routers. And I've been there nine years. And it's one of the fastest growing technology startups in Idaho. It's been a great experience. But one of the hardest positions we have to fill uh, are those that require STEM degrees science, technology, engineering, math, there's just a shortage, uh, especially among computer programmers, computer science, computer coding. And that shortage is not just here in Boise, it's nationwide, and in fact, worldwide. And so that's why I've been trying to promote STEM education, and not just get kids excited about coding, or STEM, but to, to again, have them have the belief that they can be good at it. Instead of thinking, you know I'm not a math person. I failed my science test. my standardized results are they're not good so I can't become an engineer. No, no, you can if you believe. I tried out for the gifted program in second grade and I failed the test. I didn't get in. I wasn't smart enough. Um, I kept working hard and in fifth grade. I tried out again and I did get in, but only for math. Uh, does that mean I couldn't be good at science or history or literature or language? No, no. I kept working hard, and by the time I got into high school, I took you know nine different AP exams and and got the highest score in each of those, which allowed me to you know get into MIT, where I continued to challenge myself, continue to to fail and push myself to the limits. And uh, and folks asked me, you know, what's what was the best part of MIT? And and frankly, the best part of MIT was my wife Jennifer. Uh, we met there. She's a mechanical engineer and now works at HP as a. Uh, uh, mechanical engineer working on laser jet printers and uh, at MIT they've actually the ratio of guys to girls is about 55 45 but elsewhere the the ratio of guys to girls in stem is is closer to 70 uh, 30 or 80 20 and, and part of it has to do with the uh, cultural norms of you know girls that are not as good at math supposedly or uh, people say hey maybe you shouldn't pursue this or you know show up to a, a technical class and you're not surrounded by people who are like you and you're like do I belong and if you've got those doubts it's a lot harder to pursue them and so uh, I, I especially try to encourage uh, girls uh, and women that say hey, you can be good at math and science and technology you're just as smart as the guys even smarter and and if you have diverse groups and this has been shown in many different studies if you have diverse groups of people men and women people of different ages ethnicities your, your teams are much stronger because you have a variety of ideas coming from different places in life, different thought processes, and, and you're far more likely to come up with a better and more successful product in the end. And so I want to encourage, uh, any, any, uh, girls or ladies listen to this. Hey, if you want to pursue science or technology, please do. And you can be just as good or better at it than everybody else. Uh, and and if you're part of a diverse group, you're bringing something that that group doesn't currently have.
0: You have anything you want to leave us with,
3: Stephen Becky? I do appreciate you having me out on the show to talk about my journey, and uh, and I've enjoyed breaking Guinness World Records, promoting STEM, uh, raising kids, being a husband and father, and and I encourage anyone out there that if you want to become a better you, if you want to have a growth mindset about anything. If you want to have a better relationship, if you want to be a better husband, uh, if you want to be a better listener, a better speaker, a better friend, these are all skills you can learn with a growth mindset. And that is my encouragement for you.
0: Thanks, David, for coming and sharing your stories, taking your time to do this. This has been a lot of fun. I appreciate it.
1: Thank you for listening. We're going to end this podcast with a quote from Stephen Hawking. However difficult life may seem, There is always something you can do and succeed at.
2: Thank you for listening to Let Me Tell You a Story. Please email your comments, suggestions, and submissions to story at BeckyLyles.com. Steve and Becky like to hear your thoughts, and they encourage authors to send stories and other short prose and poetry for them to read on the podcast. You can learn more about Becky's books by visiting BeckyLyles.com or by searching for her books online. Her nonfiction titles can be found under the name Becky Lyles and her fiction under Rebecca Carey Lyles. All of her books are available in both print and ebook formats. Winds of Wyoming and Winds of Freedom are also offered in audio format online. That's all for now. Tune in next time to enjoy a fresh assortment of stories on Let Me Tell You a Story.